Hello, my friends. This is Chris, and this is not a normal episode. This is me talking with Coach about the Boston Marathon, what to expect, and my training, and my race strategy. For those of you who are Boston Marathon wonks, and maybe you're out there, you're going to run it someday, or you're going to run it next Monday, I figured I'd get this out early so you'd have a chance to digest it. So anybody who's out there running the race next week, feel free to Swing by the hotel room afterwards and and say hi. Have a have a beer with me, and celebrate. Uh, usually, I don't spend a lot of time in the expo or socializing before the race because I'm kind of kind of hardcore that way about racing. To not in a bad way, just my little tiny brain can't handle too much of uh, other stuff when I'm focused on a race. So, so I uh, hope everybody enjoys their weekend, their beautiful spring day, and we will see you out there. And now for today's featured interview. This is going to be my 19th Boston Marathon, Jeff. 19 Boston Marathons. That that's pretty that's pretty that's pretty cool. Yeah, and a full I don't know. I got to say probably two of those have been ones where I've said this has been great. <laughs> It's a nice bell curve, right? Well, the majority of them kicked my ass, so that's I, it's twenty six point two miles. If if you're racing it and and you know not walking it, it should kick your ass, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's something about Boston though that is particularly it's a lot. Well, we talked about this. It's a lot harder of a course than people think, and it's a lot harder of a situation than people realize right and yeah the whole the whole the whole day and you know i think for at, at boston you know the there's the course for one in the way the whole day is set up you know the long delay in the park in the morning and the overall emotional commitment to the race i think makes boston really really a lot harder than you would think it is because on paper, it doesn't look that hard. It actually looks pretty easy. It looks net downhill, you know, pretty fast course. Uh, but most, you know, you get that same first-timer story every year from people, even the experienced runners, right? They have that exact same story, which is, you know, I was feeling great. Then somewhere around mile 18, the wheels fell off and the rest is history, right? Yeah, and inevitably you can look back at their race and, and look at the first eleven miles and see that you know they were they went out and either caught up with the excitement or you know the 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 downhill of the first eleven miles and went too hard, or they spent too much time on their feet, you know, trying to cram in so much, you know, sightseeing in Boston at the expo yep. and stuff, let let the emotion sort of get drained out of them, right? Yeah, you know, I think. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's a kind of, when you go into Boston, you know, there's so much excitement in the air in the city to begin with on, on race weekend. And it's really hard, I think, as the average age grouper, especially the first timers being there, not to get caught up in that. Yeah. Uh, and so you, you, you just got to say, you know, I say to people, look, you know, get in there, get over to the expo early, get away from the expo, get away from the crowd, get into your hotel room. You know, spend your weekend relaxing, and if you want to sightsee in Boston, do it the two or three days after the race. Yeah, yeah, because it's almost like um, 
you run out of emotions, right? If you're too too caught up in it, you get burnt out mentally. Oh, sure. I mean, it's it's draining. You know, the mental drain is can be just as bad as the physical drain. Yeah, I don't have that problem since I've done it so many times. I don't. Well, and you live there. Yeah, so and I don't don't lose any sleep over it. The challenge we get as locals is the uh, is the weather, right? Yeah. So most of my hard long training runs were done, you know, below freezing in the rain, in the slush, in the snow, in the wind, you know, 10 degrees with a 15 mile an hour headwind, which on the one hand makes you sort of mentally tough. But on the other hand, it is not course specific training for this race. No. Right. Cause you show up and some days it's like, it's like last year it was 70 to 75. And yep. people will say, well, what a beautiful day for running. Go, you know, that's that's true if you've been training in 70 to 75 weather, but we've been training in, you know, 15 degree weather. So it's it's very easy to get overheated and to get beat up by that kind of sort of spring weather. Yeah, and you really, you, you, you just have to be prepared for that, you know, the B contingency with the weather. You know, I okay, well, I trained, it's cold, it's been cold, and you guys have been having a horrible winter. And it's been cold. And then today you said to me, well, it's a beautiful day. And my first thought was, oh, here it goes. We're going to have that weather swing going into the race. And that's when it becomes, okay, what am I going to do to get my body adapted if we get there and we have that 70, 75 degree day? And, and that takes a, you know, the, the, the extra planning and nutritionally and hydration wise what you're going to do. Yep. Yeah. And I think just, you have to back off, you know, you have to take the advice and back off. Last year I tried to jump on it and that was stupid. And I ended up walking the last uh, six miles, not walking, but you know, a 20 minute positive split, which is miserable. You know, people see the the net time and they go, Oh, that's a pretty good marathon to go. Yeah. You don't understand how backloaded that time is. But I think that, I think that you I think you've had a great training cycle this time. I think this has been one of our better training cycles, actually. Um, I, I So I think you're going into this race. Um, you know, Obviously, you know how to run the course as well as anyone knows how to run that course. But I think you've had a great training cycle. And I think it, you know, mentally you just you know bank on that fact. I've had a good training cycle. And you run the course the right way. I think you can have a really good race this year. Yeah, my engine, my engine is in better shape than my aerobic fitness is better than I think it's ever been. Um, the question is my legs, right? And this is a hard course, especially for heavier runners or people who run heavy, people who run on their quads uh, because it beats up your quads, right? So the key for me is going to be um, hanging hanging back, right? Doing yeah. that negative split. And that's easy to say. It's hard to do at Boston. Yeah, it is. It, yeah, you know, you just have, and and again, it's the mental challenge. You know, you, you just have to execute it, and you you got to slow yourself down. And you know, that's the big mental challenge. It goes along with running Boston. You get caught up in the excitement, and you go, and and even you have been there nineteen years. You 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 get caught up in the excitement, and you're going out, and you're feeling really good, and you think, well, I can hang on to this, and that's the point where you have to say, no, this is not my game plan. Yeah. And you know, and and take that step back and say, you know, it's I got to back off, save that energy, don't waste the legs for, for until later. And and that's a hard thing for people to do. And not just in Boston, but in most races. Yeah, Boston's a little bit harder because of the downhills in the beginning yeah. where you'll be running what you think 
is an easy pace, but because of the downhills, you're still working. So you're still working your legs. So you get your, that, that your legs are getting beat up and you don't know it. Yeah. You really have to be conscious of, of your running form and, and the beginning of Boston. And that's, you know, keeping the feet light, keeping them under your center of mass, you know, staying in check, um, not pounding those downhills. Because if you do, if you pound those downhills early in the beginning, you know, by the time you get to mile 17 or 18, you're done. Yep. And, and, and we see it happen to thousands of people there. You know, yep. They get to mile 17 or 18 and they just have no legs left because they pounded those downhills rather than just, you know, do the Muhammad Ali and float like a butterfly in those downhills. Yeah, and it's not like you're tired. It's not like you. It's not like you hit the wall. It's just your legs are gone, right? Yeah. You, you can't. There's no. There's nothing left in your legs, and that's you know, uh, that's a difficult place to be with six miles left in the race. Yeah, and we and I don't think we we touch on that enough. The the amount of damage and fatigue that running downhill does. And running downhill is a science in itself. Yeah, and I'll tell you one um, just by accident. One workout that I did this cycle that I think was really helpful was running up that mountain behind my hotel those two times on one of my rest weeks, just doing a slow grind for you know 30, 35 minutes up a 15 to 18 percent grade, and then doing a slow jog down it. I think that's very course specific for Boston. Yeah. You know, I, and it is very course specific for Boston. I think that, you know, I think that everyone at some point in their training cycle should go to a trail and find a trail that has a pretty decent downhill grade and run down a trail downhill because you really learn the importance of where your feet are, um, you know, with regard to your body position, how to keep those feet under you, how to keep them turning quickly in order to control your pace and the pounding on your legs. You know, trail runners do that better than anyone else. You know, they really, they really know how to keep their feet under them and moving it and to go downhill rather than letting those quads take all the brunt of the work going downhill. And I think everyone should probably incorporate some good downhill trail running in, in their training cycle always. Yeah, because you don't want to use your legs as shock absorbers. No. Right. So that's what kills people at Boston is they use their legs as shock absorbers. Right. And yeah. that's what chews them up. And yeah, that so legs out in front of you, you know, going down a hill, if you get that leg out in front of you and you're pounding those downhills, you are absolutely destroying your quads and your IT band. Yeah. And then you just got nothing left when you hit the hills. Right. It'd be different if it was downhill at the end, but then you roll into the hills with nothing left. Yeah. And uh, and it's and then it's just a, a combination of the physical, psychological blow that you're toast. Right. So if you look at the course itself, I've had the opportunity to run this course a number of times. And I was out there a few weeks ago with Frank and we ran the section between Ashland, like mile four and um, just before Newton Lower Falls, like mile 15. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the course map, you know, if you go to BAA.org and look at the course map, you would say that's the flat section of the course, right? And I'm here to tell you that there's nothing flat on that section. There's one section through Framingham across the railroad tracks that is flat, but the rest of it's rolling hills. Not, yeah, big, actually, not I, big ones, you know, nothing nothing bigger than, you know, 75 feet, but there's some nice quarter mile, half mile poles in that stretch in both directions, right? So it's up and down. Yeah. I, mean, I, I actually I actually tell people in, in my video that you know that you come down and you know you get into there and they're rollers. You're, you're through the rolly section of the course, 
And because of, you're right, there's really no flat in there. It's just, you know, it's just those gentle little rollers. And those gentle little rollers can beat you up, too, if you're not ready for them or and not ready as much mentally as physically. You know, you know, ease your way up one side and, you know, momentum down the other side and, and ease up and momentum down. And, uh, yeah, you yeah. know, keep the cardiovascular system in check and, and don't get crazy. And because those little rollers, they'll, they'll break your legs, too. Yeah, and, and my point is that most people forget about that part of the course because they're still feeling great, yeah, and they're still running great, and so you took that first four miles, which was net downhill of like, I don't know, 300 feet or something, it drops like a stone yeah. um, in the first four miles, but then it levels out into these rollers, people still are feeling great, and it, it you got to be careful in there because it, it's still beating you up, right? Oh, yeah, really taking its toll. Yeah, and then then you drop down into Newton Lower Falls and into the hills proper. But the key to this course, if you can get into the hills or to Heartbreak without your legs falling off, from the top of Heartbreak down into the finish line is a really is really fast. That's like another 250, 300 feet of drop. Yeah, I don't I don't think people take into perspective the finish at Boston, and you know, other than you know, two years ago when you turned into a 30 mile an hour win. Yeah. Um, at the finish, generally that downhill finish at Boston can be very, very fast if you've been smart in the first part of the race. And right. your your whole Boston Marathon, and I tell this people over and over and over again, the outcome of your whole Boston Marathon happens in the first ten miles. You know, what, how much did you conserve in those first ten miles while running while running your race? You know, and I just think, and we just you know we talk about it again here. It's you know it's the People overrun that first 10 miles and they get into rollers, they're done. And by the time they get up Heartbreak Hill, and as you and I both know, it's really not that challenging of a hill. No. It's just the fact that people have overrun the course to that point, And so they're done. But if you can get up to the top of Heartbreak Hill and still be 85, 90 percent, yeah, you have a fast downhill all the way to the finish. And that's and, and that's where your race can really turn around. Right. And my best races, I have negative split in like six to seven minutes from that point in, from the hills yep. in. And you still, you know, you're still fighting it from, you know, mile 24, 25, 26. You're still fighting it, but you're not doing that horrible crash. And I'll tell you what, you're passing people by the bus load and it feels great. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So there's that whole psychological element to it as well. And you have, the other thing you have to remember is it's it's essentially an afternoon race for most of us now. Right? Yeah. So the the wave one starts at 10, but the rest of people are going off. So you're going to be on the course during the hottest, hottest part of the day. Um, yeah. So you got to you know sort of estimate what's the temperature going to be at and when you know when am I going to be where. So yeah, there's there's stuff to be said there. Um, I'm starting in the back. Uh, this year with a buddy. Other thing you you don't get at Boston is there's no pace groups. Nobody's holding a flag or a sign up, right? They they don't do that. So yeah. if you're trying to run a 3:30 or trying to run a 3:40, nobody there's nobody to run with, right? So that's another thing that sort of pulls people out is everybody's going too fast, so you just go with the flow, right? Right. So you really have to have that sort of self-discipline. Yeah, and I'm and I'm a little bit of a snob that way. I, I don't think there should ever be pace groups at races. I just, you know, I think if you're there to run a marathon, part of running a marathon is to be as mentally prepared as physically prepared. And you shouldn't you shouldn't be relying on, you know, it's kind of like drafting. 
you know, why, why do I need someone to pull me through this race? If I train for a race and I get there, I should be able to run this race on my own. And so I've, and I've never, and I never send my athletes into a race and say, well, stay with the 330 pace group or the 350 pace group. I say, you know, here's your race plan, execute it. Yeah. And, and because that's part of the game, if you want to be a good marathoner, that's part of the game is executing your race plan. Uh, because you never know what a pacer is going to do anyway. You know, if you could get pacers who are running six minute miles for a mile and then eight thirty miles and 10 minute miles and you know, so you just never know what's going to happen with a pacer. So, you know, execute the plan you come in with. But you're, you know, you're a master at that. So you shouldn't have a problem. Yeah, the problem I'm having right now is I have, I'm having a real hard time finding that, that, that pace, right? That sort of um, race pace minus five, minus five plus five. That zone around race pace. Because mm-hmm. when we did this, when Frank and I did the course, and you've seen my splits, right? Right. I'm, I'm trying to run a 750 and I'm running 740s. Yeah. Right. And I'm not looking at my watch every five seconds. I'm just looking at the splits and trying to run it by feel. So I've been struggling to find that 750 or that 755, 8, 805, 8, you know, something in that band. Um, it just, I don't know, something about the training cycle, but I just, I, I, it's not worn in, you know, it's not a groove for me. Yeah, I think in your case, you know, if that's the case, then it becomes, okay, well, I'm going to settle in this first mile and see what I feel like. And you get to that first mile marker and you take a look and you say, okay, well, that was feeling like, you know, 750 to me or or eight minutes to me. And it was actually 740. Then you make that adjustment. And you say, I got to make a little bit of adjustment now. I got to back it off just a little bit. And then, you, you know, then you start to make the adjustment of the pace. You know, rather than say, well, geez, that felt because a lot of people say, well, geez, that felt really good. I'm going to keep pushing that. Yeah. And then and then at mile 12, they're done. You know, it's that first miles when you step back and you look and you say, OK, that felt really, really good. And I think I was at 740 and you look down and say, oh, it felt really, really good. And I was at 730 or 725. I have to make that 15 second adjustment a little bit now or my race is going to be over rather than saying I'm going to push through this way because your race is going to be over anyway. Yeah, and the other thing, the, another mistake I made last year is I was trying to check my Garmin every, you know, every 10 feet to see if yeah. I was on pace, and you just can't do that. It no. just messes up. You never get in the groove. Yeah. Um, so, so you want to check the mile marks because there's, if you're trained and you're racing, there's nothing you can do in a mile that's going to kill you, whether you're 30 seconds under or 30 seconds over. You can, right. you can get around that and you should be close. You know, if you've been training, you should be close enough. Right. right. Um, yeah, so you know, the, the threshold work and, and we do that, you know, where you're running that race pace for an extended period of time, you should be able to make those little adjustments that you need to make at the mile mark, two mile mark. You know, even some, even if you go to the three mile mark, you know, you can still make enough adjustment that you'll be okay. But that's where you have to make it. You're right. You can't be looking down every 10 minutes at your every every five seconds at your watch saying, oh, 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 because the one of the things is your watch isn't updating that fast. Right. Yeah. Your watch doesn't know. Yeah. And you've got, you know, you've got 26,000 people around you with watches and and uh, the trees and the hills. So you, your watch has no idea how right. how fast you're going. But it's pretty good on the splits. So you take the. You take the one, you know, the the minute splits, and I, I, you know, I might even ditch the Garmin and just wear my my Ironman, um, because that only tells me the splits, right? 
Yeah, that only tells you the splits. And, and, you know, we've been working together long enough that cardiovascularly, you'll know exactly where you're at at this point. Yeah, and the other thing, this year, my buddy Frank, who I've been doing some long runs with, he's he's coming <laughs> he's coming back from a hip replacement. Um, but he's running about the same pace I am, and he's in the same corral as me. So um, we'll probably hang out for the first um, first 15 miles or so, and he can he can hold me back. Well, he's coming back from hip replacement. Yeah. Good for him. That resurfacing thing they do. Yeah. 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 Not oh. the not the break it off and stick a new one in there. The resurfacing oh. one. Okay, that's uh, good. Yeah, he's he's about my age, and uh, yeah, so so we're in the same corral. I can run with him, and and we've been running together for 20 years, so we can hold each other back. So that's good, because you really need to hold back in those uh, in those miles, those first, like you said, the, it's I, it's really the first 16 miles is where yeah. you need to hold back. You need to drop down into Newton Lower Falls with 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 all of your energy still in the tank. And this year, the difference is I'm willing to give up 10, 15 seconds a mile to do that because I do not want to be doing the death march in from Newton. It's funny because you know I, I have the you know I have the tracker window open from here on 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 any race day, you know, not just Boston Day, but and I watch and I watch and I and I see people going and I think oh oh. Oh, and then I, you know, they get to 15 miles, and I say, and I, and I can pretty much turn off their day because I know it's over, or I, I leave it on because I think, okay, they're really executing their plan. And you, know, you get the phone call and said, you know, I really felt great through 15. I was 20 seconds ahead of pace all the way, and I say, yeah, exactly. That's why you died at 16. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's just so important to really focus on 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 the execution at Boston. Just and that's you know, put the blinders on. You know, tune everyone else out to the best of your ability and and execute your race. You know, we have a lot of people. And this, this is something interesting. We've never talked about it before. But we end up getting a lot of people who go to Boston um, and, you know, they run these great times to get there. And then they just go to Boston to enjoy the moment right. rather than, rather than race the race. And um, sometimes that clogs up the front a little bit, you know, because somebody who had to run 310 or 315 to get to Boston and they – you know, they did that. And that was the monumental feat for them. You know, the years of, of trying to run that BQ. And then the mentality is and this was kind of put into perspective for me from a girl I'm training here for Eugene in, in a couple of weeks. And you know, she wants to run her first BQ. And we were talking and she goes, but, you know, when I go to Boston, it's just going to be about the sightseeing down to 26.2. And I think a lot of people do that. Yeah. And so it, it used to be easier, Jeff, and we all used to do that. Right. What what we all used to do is we say we will train for this race. But it's not the race we're trying to qualify at, yeah. right? We're going to train for it and respect it and do our best. But this isn't the one we're killing ourselves on because we used to be able to qualify in October. Yeah, exactly. can't do it anymore. Nope. Right? So they screwed up the whole cycle for us, the local yes. guys, right? Yep. So, um, yeah, but, you know, so now the race has this, well, I got to qualify here to make next year. But I, I already have a qualification. So I qualified in um, Portland by six minutes, six minutes and change. So I've got a qualification no matter what they do. Um, But I'd still like to break that 330 because I'm kind of angry about not being able to do it for the last five years. Um, Yeah, so you ran ran a great race at Portland under pretty crappy conditions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, good for me, though. I'm a cold weather runner, so good for me. 
Um, but that was one of those ones where I just hung in the groove and I, I managed to hang on at the end. Um, I didn't have the negative split so much, but I managed to hang on um, and push through it. Um, but I wasn't clock watching. I was just staying between the two pace groups. Yeah. Uh, and that seemed to work out really well. That's a forgiving course, too. Yeah, it gives you something back at the end. It does. Um, yeah. And it's got that one hill in the middle that seemed to wipe a lot of people out, but it was no problem for me. Yeah. The bridge. Um, yeah, up but, over the bridge. Yeah, but I mean, one of the keys going into that race is uh, in August, I started um, eating clean and losing weight. And I went into that race about 175, 176-ish. And you're below that now. I weighed in this morning about 170. I weighed in yesterday about 173. So if I can hang on to that, that's that's good for me, right? That's that's that makes a lot of difference in this type of run. Yeah, and so, which brings up another great important tip for anyone who's who's listening. You're you know you're in your taper. You have to adjust your your calorie intake to your taper. You know, too many people get into taper and they say, well, I gained in five pounds, I gained in six pounds. That's because you're eating like you were training. And you have to be smart enough that to get into taper, say, OK, I, I'm fueling the energy output of taper, not the energy output of a build week, um, you know, four weeks out from taper. And a lot of people will say, I gained five, six pounds during taper. It's just because you haven't made those adjustments to your intake. And I think that's smart, especially if you're going through this next week, you know, is keeping the intake, fueling the energy where you're at you know, now and, and holding that weight, um, making sure, you know, the hydration is up, the mineral levels are getting loaded, you know, as we go through this last week of taper before, you know, race week. And then on race week, toward the end of it, maybe you can take in a, a few extra calories. It's not going to get you to the starting line three or four pounds heavier, but it's going to give you just a little bit extra in the bank. Yeah, it's the, the thing is, during the taper, you tend to get a little psychotic. Um, <laughs> so... It's not necessarily that you're eating too much. You're just making really stupid eating decisions because you're psychotic. And so you, you almost have to have an eating plan. And so my eating plan is, you know, no bread, no pasta. You know, I'm basically fruit and veg and brown rice for this week, right? And that's that's how I'm going to stay because I know as soon as I drop a potato chip in my mouth, I'll go all I'll, – I'll be like a crack addict, right? <laughs> yeah it's true it is i just go i go mental it everybody else does right yep. so you really need a strategy like you said or you'll put on 10 pounds i can yep. get 10 pounds a day no problem no like problem. that like that yeah i remember i used to think carb loading meant drinking beer and that, <laughs> that, that was always a big mistake drinking beer and eating french fries yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> But we were younger then. We could get away with it. Yeah, I can't get away with that anymore. No. So so going in light. And this morning we were doing those, you know, some fart licks, me and, me and Frank and Tim out in the rail trail. And we were pushing, you know, a, a zone three kind of pace, you know, mid zone three. And I'm looking at those times and we're running like, you know, 658s. You know, we're pushing into the sixes in places, right? So. You know, I think we got the leg speed. It's just a question whether we got the distance, right? So I think, it's all... I think you have. I think you have the distance. You've had a good training cycle, and your long runs have all been good. You know, they, yeah, they might have been affected by the weather, but you know, the time has been good, and your last couple long runs and mileage has been good. I think you're ready to go. I really think. I actually think in the years that we've been working together, 
you're probably in as good a place as you've ever been. Yeah, I am. I am physically. I got nothing going on physically in terms of injuries or anything like that. So that's been good. But just the volume hasn't been super high in terms of weekly volume. And I always think that way, right? Because of what I used to do. Yeah. Um, And I wonder, you know, but so I don't have the volume to attack Boston, but I have the volume to run it smart. Yeah. And to have a very good day if we get the weather, if every, you know, because really you can't train for a result. What you train for is the opportunity to take a shot at that result, right? You train for the opportunity, not, you know, you're not never guaranteed. It's always comes down to race day. Yeah. And, and again, the, the, you know, the biggest comment we, we talk about all the time is 26.2 is 26.2 and, and it challenges your body and you just, you know, no matter how well you train and, and as you said, you train for the opportunity, you get there, you put all the work in. It's going to be your day or it's not going to be your day. And, you know, there's things that are can be out of your control that you have no control over. Or maybe you get to the starting line and that's the day the body says, you know what, I'm not going to fire today. Yep. And, and you have to just say, OK, you know, and, and you learn from that and you move on. Uh, you know, you can't you know, we just had a girl you know, out out here to do 100K, someone who's done, you know, multiple hundred miles with us. And. You know, she's had a bit of a bad ankle, and 100K is nothing to her, 60-mile run. But a 50K, you know, she was realizing it wasn't her day. The rocks were taking control of the ankle, so she made the call to stop and, you know, and, and did it without remorse. And that's the mindset that you have to go into any endurance race with. It's, it's, if it's not my day, I just have to be smart and know when to shut it down, finish, so I don't hurt myself, so I have a good time. And I walk out of it with the experience, you know, I'm ready to try again rather than I'll never do that again. Yeah, so my training cycle this time, you know, that we we only did a two-week taper, and that run last Sunday was a monster. I mean, I don't think I've ever fought a run that hard. That had that was in my head for three days that you know before I ran it, because um, it was the end of a very high volume week for me, mm-hmm. you know, high intensity, high volume week, and you know this workout that I did was an hour. In zone two, so it's basically an hour warm up, right, at normal pace, and then an hour and a half at tempo pace, and then a series of five minute surges. And I did that out in the roads, right, out in the wilds. <laughs> and and I, I had two of those before that I kind of fell short on, that I wasn't able to finish that tempo, um, but I was able to finish it last weekend. That was a hard workout, Jeff. I mean, that was one of the hardest workouts I think I've ever done. Um, but I really, I really attacked it and I beat it. Yeah. And, and I decided to go with a two week taper with you this year. Your travel schedule was a little wonky and, um, I wanted to make sure that you had that week that you had last week. And, and because I think, I think last week is really sending you, you know, send you into this two week taper, which is plenty of time for you to refresh because you recover very quickly for a guy your age. <laughs> You, you do. You recover very quickly. So I wasn't worried about having you recovered and, and tuned up again for the race because you recover well. Um, but I wanted you to have that, that real big week with the intensity and then the long run. And, you know, with the fingers crossed that everything would be right, it would be successful. And for you, I think it's a confidence builder. I think you're going to – because I'm you know, just reading your logs as you're going through tapering. You know, you're, I think your confidence level is really high, and I think it's a result of that week. 
Yeah, and it's been my life. My life outside of the training has been kind of stressful this spring. So it's been uh, it hasn't been the easiest time to get the training in, but but I've executed on it. Just you know that volume, a two week taper. You know, hopefully we'll get the big bounce, right? Because there's never been a point in this training cycle where I've got outside and say, "Gee, my legs feel bouncy." You know, I feel like I'm in race shape. But I realize some of the best races I've had in the past were those where I went in never having those, you know, that that moment during your training cycle where you go, oh, I feel like I'm in race shape, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And the other thing is I didn't race at all this spring. Usually I do a series of those 20 milers or the 30 Ks just sort of as checkpoints along the way to see what my fitness is. And we didn't do any of those this year. Yeah, and I think that I you – know, and I was really excited when I said, I don't think we should do those. And they didn't really, and, and another great thing happened. And, and although there's been a lot of stress in your life through this training cycle. Um, the good thing was things came up that pertain to that personal part of your life that kept you from doing them as well, because sometimes we would fight through that. And you would say, well, I'm just going to go do it anyway. And then you'd run too hard. So I don't think, I think not having those challenges on your legs going into, I really think, you know, I look at your logs and, and I'm reading as I'm reading them this week. Again, I think you're going into this race as uh, as fit as you have ever been physically and mentally now because you've had some good news on the personal side of your life. It's kind of like everything's really coming together for you um, for this Boston. And I think you're going to have a great race. I think one of the things I, I like to think about is is taking the long view. And I always am telling people this, like your lady who stepped out of the race this week at 50K, it's like what you do today is really not that important in the grand scheme of things. Um, you've got, you know, years and years of this ahead of you, make the right decision. So I look at this as a, as sort of a five-year journey for me, where starting when I got that plantar fasciitis, you know, back in 2011, and having to take time off, and then you know, coming back in time to get bombs thrown at me at Boston and then coming back in time for my uh, my dad to die of cancer and to have have a heart condition. No, I had the heart condition. My dad died. Right. So right. this has been this five year cycle where I've been trying to get back into qualification. And, you know, it's it's that's the long view that I take. Right. And I right. look at this and I say, who else would be either stubborn enough or stupid enough to hang in there? and train this long to try to get back into qualification, right? Um, and I don't know whether I'm, I'm proud of that or I should see, you know, I should I should go get uh, checked up because of that. Well, I think, there, I think there's a certain degree of, of um, psychological disorder in all of us. <laughs> 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 but, you know, you, you, you are very unique in, in a lot of ways. You know, first of all, you're running your 19th Boston, and who many, how many people can say that? And but this is what marathon sixty one, fifty something, fifty something. Okay. Yeah. You know, and how many people do that? Uh, you know, so it's you know you tell people you we and we talk about it all the time. You know, you run enough marathons, you know exactly what to expect. You know, you're never afraid of the distance anymore. Right. So and and a lot of people eat you know through their first four or five marathons, you know, still always fear the distance. But you get to that point where, you know what, I can run 26 miles any day of the week. And you can do that. And that's an advantage that you have. And then, it's, then for me as coach to coach you, the, the, the thought process is, okay, I know Chris can run 26 miles. How do I get him at age, what, what are you, 52 now? I'm 55. 55. Next year. Yeah. So 
get this guy at 55 years old, you know, back to where he ran at 45 years old. You know, so that's always the challenge for me. And I don't think that's impossible. And, you know, you know, maybe we're, we're not going to run the 315 or the 320. But I certainly think that 330 is, is still, you know, a very realistic possibility you know, if everything, you know, if Mother Nature takes care of things and, and everything else and the body fires on race day. I really think that's a realistic possibility. Yeah, and uh, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stress out about this one or try try to attack it. I'm just gonna try and run a nice, intelligent, negative split race and see what I got when I get into the hills. Yeah, you know, for and, you for you and, and for you to run a steady, you know, eight minute pace for 26.2 miles, I you know I think you're there. Yeah, and and I think you're there. And if you want to negative split it, you go out in eight oh fives, you know, eight tens. Until you, you know you're you're ready to go, and then you go. I just I think you're there. Yeah, that's that's the plan. That's the plan. And April seventeenth says uh, a high of fifty four right now with a sixteen mile an hour sort of side wind. So, you know, it changes every day. Looks good. Yeah, it does. It always it always changes every day up there, doesn't it? It does. It changes every day by like ten degrees. Especially was, this time of year. Yeah, yesterday it said it was going to be seventy. So that's 16 degree swing in one day. So uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to weather weather worry about that. All right, man. Well, here's uh, we'll we'll talk. What do we got on the schedule for this week? Oh, this week we'll do you know, we'll do a couple of pickups um, in the week, maybe do some 50 50s to get you ready. You know, just some short little quick stuff, you know, coordinate the turnover, burn the legs up, burn the gunk out of the legs. Yeah, gotta do my stretching. I was I was pretty uh, I was pretty crunchy coming out of that heavy week last week. Yeah, you get on get on the roller, get the yoga done. Yep, get my stretching done. Make sure I eat clean. Yep, all good, all good, man. All good. All right. Hope everybody has a great Boston. Yeah, me too. I hope everybody, you know, if, if anyone wants any tips, um, on my YouTube channel, there's a you know how to run Boston video, and I think. God, the video now has 25,000 views. Yeah, that's, I, made, I made that a long time ago. So. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where uh, everybody knows what they're supposed to do. <laughs> you know, we said it in the beginning, and we probably should close with it. You Write your plan down, execute your plan. You know, just focus on that. Focus on, on executing your plan and hitting your marks. Yeah, it's that first, that, that first half marathon you've got to hold back. Yep. And you got you got to run light, and uh, and it's not too late if you get to the three mile mark and you're 20 seconds a mile over. It's not too late if you get to the five mile mark. Nope. You know I have had races at Boston where I've gotten to the five mile mark and I've been three full minutes ahead of my plan, and I have stopped and walked <laughs> yeah. to give to give back those three minutes so I wouldn't have that thought in my head. Hey. I'm going to run a 250 today, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and then and then at 21 miles, it's like, okay, it looks like I'm going to run 350. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Coach. Oh, thank you, Chris. Always a pleasure. All right. Cheers. Cheers.